It's hypnotic, isn't it? It's huge. It's enormous. It's gigantic. And they said it was big, but I didn't expect it to be big. A fire chief with a large nose falls for a woman, but then helps a more attractive man pursue her. Listen as we discuss Steve Martin's different eras, too much saxophone, and appropriate attire for plastic surgeons. Then we find out if 1987's Roxanne stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and I am here joined by my buddy, my pal, James Brief. That is me. And you're not only joined by me, we're also joined by our listeners. That's right. Hello, listeners. It's so nice to have you listen to us. That sounds weird. But, you know, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening to us. That's right. We're glad to join your car ride. Maybe you're listening when you're jogging or you just turned on Alexa and we're listening there. Uh, maybe we're in the bedroom with you, in which case, hello. And maybe oh, we're- stop it. Stop it. This is getting really weird. I don't like where this is going. We just said hello. I think that's all we needed to say. I'm just saying people could be in the International Space Station. They could be scuba diving. They could be making new listeners right now, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, but ew. Also, I don't think you should listen to podcasts while scuba diving. I think that's probably not good for your inner ear pressure. Um, well, it depends on which podcast. No, it, it doesn't, actually. But whatever. I'll leave that to the scuba diving experts. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. You suggested it, and I was like, yes, immediately, yes, a Steve Martin movie, I'm in. Because I love Steve Martin. We finished watching the second season of Only Murders in the Building not that long ago, I think. Do you watch that show? Uh, I watched the first season. We haven't gotten to the second season yet. But fantastic show. I mean, Martin Short is, for me, the most underrated actor in terms of he did not get the career he should have. He should have had Steve Martin's career. I'm not saying Steve Martin shouldn't have had his career. I'm saying this should have been a Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like They should have both hit the superstardom together. They're just so wonderful together. That show, I'm looking forward to the second season. And I heard it's uh, renewed for a third. That is true. I won't spoil the second season in any way, shape, or form other than to say, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I will thank uh, the news organizations for saying headlines like, surprise cameo at the end of Only Murder Season 2 has signed on for Season 3. So now I know that this actor is now in Season 3. That was spoiled for me too, and I was pissed off. Just knowing that he's in it, it doesn't spoil anything. But at the end of last week's episode, you said that this movie, Roxanne, was peak Steve Martin. And I kind of was like, well, I don't know about that because he's never really stopped peaking. Even now, he's got this this great show. And there was a big thing where he said that he was maybe going to retire. And then he kind of said that maybe he's not going to retire. And I mean, he's in his mid to late 70s now. And, you know, his career has had ups and downs like pretty much everyone's has. 
But, I mean, he's been firing on all cylinders pretty regularly since the 70s. In the 70s and earlier, there would be comedy records that people would have. Very famously, Richard Pryor would have records, but a lot of people had records. And Steve Martin had a really, really famous comedy records. The image of, of Steve Martin was not this family movie kind of guy. It was an arrow through his head. Yeah. Like he famously wore that uh, on a lot of his uh, comedy acts. And he'd be this traveling comedian and he would kind of go on The Tonight Show. He was that kind of guy. And that was like the first era of Steve Martin. Then he's on Saturday Night Live. Steve Martin was never actually a cast member, but he's been there forever. He was one of the original inductees into the Five Timers Club in that famous uh, Tom Hanks episode. Do you know how many times he's hosted? I mean, he's just been there forever. I don't know the exact number of times he's hosted, but I know that for a long time, he and Alec Baldwin and John Goodman, I think, were going back and forth for like the top spot. I'm not sure if he still holds the record, but he was on a lot. Like nowadays on Saturday Night Live, if you host like early in the season, well, that's it. You're not coming back for a second time in the season because they won't have the same person host twice. But in the 70s, when the show was new, they did do that. And uh, they had Steve Martin host a couple of times per season, which, you know, it's not done anymore. He had hosted a lot back then and then kept on hosting, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s. So I don't know, I guess I could look it up. But a lot is the answer. He's hosted a lot of times. Right. And he became a big star. Then you have movies that were big hits, like before we were born, uh, movies like, I'm sure we'll review it at some point, movies like The Jerk. I remember these are kind of films that you'd see in the video store in the 80s. I remember there was one I'd always pass. I never watched it called The Man with Two Brains. And Oh, uh, you've never seen that? No, I've, I've seen that. I've never seen that one. I think the first film I ever saw from Steve Martin is a film with a wonderful actress. We've reviewed her in one film so far, a body-switching film called All of Me. Do you remember this film with Lily Tomlin? No, I don't remember that one. I don't know if it's body switching or I think maybe he dies and comes into her body. That was his late 70s, early 80s era. What do you first associate Steve Martin with? When I think of Steve Martin, probably the first things that pop into my head are Parenthood and My Blue Heaven. Uh, We talked about My Blue Heaven. My sister Sam was on that episode and we just watched that movie all the damn time. Like that was a, a VHS tape that we just wore out. We just watched that movie so much. And I loved, loved, loved that movie. So you didn't really discover him until the 90s then? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I don't think I'd watch The Jerk and The Man with Two Brains until later on. Playing trains and automobiles? I don't think I watched that like when it first came out in the 80s. If it did, I don't remember. Yeah, you saw him probably in the next era when he went from, you know, modest hits. You had uh, your Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, I don't think Three Amigos was a big hit. Uh, but then he goes into the 90s. And then you have your Parenthood, your Father of the Bride. He just becomes really, really big then. Then finally in the 2000s, he does the Cheaper by the Dozen films. He does the Pink Panther films. I feel like the next era That's when he becomes more, you know what, I've done everything I need to do in Hollywood. I'm going to break out of Hollywood. And you find out he's going to play the banjo 
Okay, Steve, you know, this always happens. You know, Keanu Reeves and Bruce Willis, they have a rock band on the side. Like, okay, have fun, guys. And then you hear things like, did Steve Martin just win a Grammy Award for banjo? And, like, he is a fantastic banjo player. I mean, if you see him live, this is not a trick. Like, he is unbelievable. I think I mentioned this before, but Courtney and I did see him live when uh, he was doing a stage show with Martin Short. And I think they've done a couple other versions of that stage show since Courtney and I saw them a couple years back. But... He does play the banjo live with his banjo group, and they're great. It's just part of the show. Right. And then you have a new medium, streaming. Streaming is tough. You can't just entertain people for 90 minutes. This has got to be sustained over eight or ten hour long mini movies and it can't you know kind of be boring in the middle where commercials are gonna happen. You gotta keep them entertained and the guy knocks it out of the park. Yeah, but let's talk about this movie, Roxanne. This was a movie that I had seen when I was a kid at some point. I don't really remember when. I think my mom was just like, oh, you'll like it. It's funny. Uh, And I definitely hadn't seen it in many, many, many years. Had you seen this before? I think I saw it exactly once. I have an image that I saw this with my family in a theater in Connecticut. I had not seen this in years. I don't remember anything about the film except for the big nose scene in the restaurant. Uh And I remember the theater going crazy. That's just one of my first memories of a comedy in a theater nailing it and everyone in a theater laughing and that feeling that you can't replicate at home. Right. But so just to give people a a reminder of what the movie's about, it's a modern, well, 1987 era modern retake on the classic play Cyrano de Bergerac. Charlie, who's played by Steve Martin, is a likable, witty, intelligent, and brave fire chief of a small ski town. But Charlie has an unusually large nose, which he's self-conscious about. He meets a graduate student, Roxanne, played by Daryl Hannah, and he is immediately smitten with her. But Roxanne falls for another firefighter named Chris, who is very handsome, but terrible with words. So Charlie helps Chris win over Roxanne by telling him what to say. Roxanne falls for these beautiful words, not realizing that they actually come from Charlie. Eventually, Charlie is exposed, and Roxanne is furious that he lied to her. Will she ever be able to forgive Charlie? And Charlie is also sometimes called CD. I don't think they ever say what the middle name is that uh, the D stands for, but obviously it's a play on Cyrano de Bergerac because, you know, he's that character in this telling of the story. Right. But um, when this film came out in 1987, uh, it came out July 9th, 1987, had a $12 million budget, a modest size back then. It opened at number five with $4.5 million, wind up earning $40 million domestically. That's about a nine times multiplier from its opening weekend. So this is a number five film. There were, that weekend, four films that people were talking about or paying money to see more. 
more, yet this film endured almost making 10 times its opening uh, weekend. Steve Martin said that this was the first film. He wrote this, by the way. He wrote yes. the screenplay. He said that this was the first time. It's something on the lines of, I might be paraphrasing it, but he took himself seriously as a creator. I think more of his early stuff was zany and, you know, I don't know if he wrote uh, Three Amigos, but... He did. It, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really fun film, but that's a pure comedy. I wouldn't say there's any deep emotional scenes in that film or, you know, inner turmoil that people look and say, hey, Hey, this character is me. This film definitely has uh, weight to it. And, you know, basing it on a very well-regarded film and putting it in the modern day is, you know, it's risky. It certainly is. Apparently, Steve Martin loved the play Cyrano de Bergerac, and he saw that when he was a kid, and it spoke to him, and he was very moved by it, and he was thinking about how could he update it and modernize it and he wrote many versions of the script and it went through many iterations until it became this movie and i don't know cyrano de bergerac i've never seen the play i've never read the play i read a wikipedia synopsis of the play before we recorded this because i wanted to have some basis of comparison and it's got some of the similar beats where, you know, there's a character with a big nose and he likes a woman named Roxanne. And then there's this other guy in the play. It's Christian in the movie. It's Chris, uh, who is the attractive suitor. But also in the play, there's a lot of like army stuff. You know, there's a war in Europe and that makes things a lot more complicated in the movie. It's just these firefighters and Charlie is the leader and they're kind of bumbling and it's just meant as like a gag you know watching the guys in the the fire department struggle to do like the simplest basic training exercises but yeah definitely a simpler version than the the play which is four acts and seemed much more intricate yeah i knew only two things about the play one the guy had a big nose also, I knew that famous scene. There's a famous scene, and this has been mimicked in sitcoms and movies forever, where there's some guy who's just too nervous to talk to the other girl, so someone's whispering in, in his ear. Either he has a radio, or in this film, he's whispering from the bushes. There's an earlier scene when Chris is trying to talk to Roxanne, and he has some wireless headphones on. I thought, ah, there's the modern remake of the uh, you know speech scene, but no, they actually do straight up and that's one of the uh, you know climactic uh, scenes of the film when he does help uh, Chris talk from the balcony up up to Roxanne but um, I think in the play uh, Roxanne is the uh, female as well yes I think it's uh, spelled with one n or something because that's the old-timey spelling I guess but she is named Roxanne in the play and I just like seeing Steve Martin in this movie not just because I like seeing Steve Martin in any movie but he's like, I guess, as close to an action hero as you're ever going to get, where he has the scene where he's fighting these guys who are making fun of his nose, and he's like doing flips up to uh, get into Roxanne's home when she locks herself out. And my guess is it's not all Steve Martin doing this stuff, that there's stunt doubles. But even still, it's like, oh, look at Steve Martin. He's like punching people. He's like fighting dudes and stuff. Like, I like seeing that side of Steve Martin. It opens on basically a fencing scene where Kevin Nealon has a small role as kind of this bully. 
Charlie winds up having a tennis racket fencing match against them. And I'm sure it's a, you know, a scene from the play reminiscent of that. I liked it except one thing that took me out of that scene. There's a guy that swings with all of his might. He swings like a nine iron at Charlie and he ducks and then knocks him out of the way and says like some, you know, quip. But that's a nine iron. That is a deadly deadly weapon. It was a little too casual for me. There were also a lot of sound effects in that fight scene. Like when he's like hitting the guy with the tennis racket, it's like wobble wobble, you know, like the the things that they added in post, which was definitely a trend we've seen in other movies from the 80s. That kind of takes me out of it. Yeah, yeah. That scene, I would have liked that to be done a little better. However, I have to talk about the opening, opening scene. So I saw this with Sarah, and she had never seen or heard of this film, which is interesting. I mean, it wasn't surprising, because this film is relatively unknown. I don't think you will find anyone under 30 that has heard of this film, if they're not like a, you know, a Steve Martin aficionado. I just find it strange that it hasn't been in the zeitgeist. Like, I haven't seen The Jerk, but... I've heard of The Jerk over and over and over through the years. And Three Amigos, which wasn't a big hit, like I said, everyone quotes this film. So this film, which is, you know, very critically acclaimed, like just is kind of forgotten about. So the point is, Sarah knew nothing about this film. I wouldn't even let her see when we turn it on, on, uh, what was this on? Paramount, uh, I saw this on. Um, I didn't let her see the big picture because I didn't want her to see that he has a big nose. I was kind of thinking, well, it's not like you'll be spoiled. Uh, You're going to see it right away. The opening scene of this film with all the credits, it's amazing. You see Charlie walking through the town. They film it so brilliantly. I asked Sarah, I said, do you notice anything about this guy? And she says something like, well, he's like whistling a lot or, or something like she was totally missing it. You see him walking straight towards the camera, but because he's walking towards the camera, you can't notice the nose or he's walking as profile shot, but there's like a branch in the way. It's really, really clever. And, you know, you and I know the one thing about Roxanne is he has a big nose. It's in the poster. It's in everything. If you don't know about that, you really don't figure it out until Kevin Nealon like says something like big nose knows something like that and there's a very slow turn and I watched Sarah and she was like whoa what the hell is that like it's not something to expect and also I'll say the prosthetic in this film so well done I kept looking for like where's the line where you could see the the plaster and I thought this was brilliantly done especially for 1987 yeah I didn't notice any uh seams or anything where you could tell that it was uh, a fake nose They, they did a good job with it It looks fake only in that people who have big noses don't have big noses like this, where they just kind of like stick straight out parallel to the ground. That's just not how noses work. Oh, this is a Pinocchio nose. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. I think just based on a poster I've seen of Cyrano de Bergerac, I think he has more of like the crooked nose. You'd correct the plastic surgery these days. Yes. Um, And the character of Roxanne, I think, is great and is charming. But Roxanne is also like, she's saying that she is being very forward with Charlie because she asks Charlie to put in a good word for her with Chris. And 
that is in her mind being very forward and kind of aggressive. And, you know, if you're looking at it from the old timey point of view, you know, the man asks out the woman and the woman can't show any interest because that's wrong for whatever reason. And of course that's outdated and stupid, but it's just like, no, if you were going to be forward and you're okay with being some degree of forward, then you would just go to Chris and ask him out or strike up a conversation. And instead she's asking Charlie to do it for her, which just kind of made me think of like that South Park episode. I forget which character likes the other one, but like they can only have their friend talk to her or her friend talk to him. That's like, not South Park. That's middle school. You can't ask out a girl. You need your friend to ask out the girl. And the friend asks out the best friend to give the replies. I mean, this is how the relationship goes. Right, right. But the, the joke was in South Park that like he says, like, I've been doing this all wrong. I was asking my friends to talk to her. I need to be direct. I need to go directly to her friend. You know, and it's like, no, 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 you're doing the same exact thing. You're not being not ladylike. I was thinking the exact same thing. She likes him. Right. Just kind of flirt with him. And and then maybe realize this guy's a moron. But uh, what I really liked about her, she's brilliant. She's a graduate student in what field of study, Alan? Astronomy. There's some other guy that's trying to flirt with her, not Chris, but then someone says astronomy. So the guy goes, astrology, astronomy, what's the difference? And I was like, anger. Oh, is that a trigger for you? That's good to know. I'll just make a little note of that here on my keyboard. <laughs> but when Roxanne is talking to Charlie and she's like, well, there's someone I like, but I don't know how to tell him. And Charlie thinks that She's talking about him because he really likes her. And for like the first couple of lines of the conversation, it's all like things that would apply to him. And then eventually she's like, yeah, and he's really strong and he's really handsome. And he's like, wait a second. And his name is Chris. And like, oh, crap, it's not me. I think when he realizes that she's not talking about him, Steve Martin plays that scene really well where you can tell from his face He's devastated, but also that he's holding in that devastation. I think that's like a powerful, well-acted scene, considering that, you know, this movie is supposed to just be like kind of a lighthearted, silly comedy. I thought that Steve Martin did a really, really good job there. And I'm kind of jumping ahead, but at the end of the movie, Roxanne is really pissed at Charlie because he lied to her. And she actually punches him in the nose, which, you know, seems like it would be very painful considering he's got this super long nose. But, like, you understand why she's mad and she has every right to be mad because he absolutely lied to her and deceived her. But you also do sort of see it from his point of view and you get why he felt like he had to do it. And I appreciated that. I felt like it's not just that, like, he's a bad guy. He did a very wrong thing, but you understand, like, why he did the wrong thing. And it doesn't justify the bad behavior, but you understand the motivation. I feel like that's a thing I've been mentioning a lot in podcast episodes with you about, like, I don't understand why this character did the thing. And, like, I felt like I understood it in this movie. Also, just because he's tormented constantly by others and by himself he's very like you know self-conscious about his nose so you feel it like you feel why he is the way he is and why he does what he does 
Yeah, uh, they do one thing in this film very well to explain exactly the point you just say. But in the film, it's established, you do not talk about this guy's nose. Right. And this guy has a an unusually large nose, but it seems and it's implied that none of his uh, firefighters that seem to respect him, they will never talk about it. Right. And they talk to Chris, the new guy. They even mention, do not talk about this nose. He's like, all right, whatever, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to like blurt out something just because, you know, I see it. Chris finally sees his nose and he's just like, oh, my God, it's enormous. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. And everyone is waiting for the explosion. The firefighters, they back out of the house because they're like, he's going to kill him. And then Charlie's like, hey, let's rack up the uh, billiards uh, game. And he's like, aren't you going to kill me? And he goes, no. And the reason he's not is because he just got home from uh, Roxanne's and he wrongly thinks it's him, but he goes, she likes me. His most hated thing in the world, which is his self-consciousness about his uh, about his big nose, someone just went on and did a bad version of that insult. Like it was like 20 seconds of insulting him. And he was like, nah, I don't care today. I'm in such a good mood. Yeah, because he got the attention from this woman. And you get the sense that he doesn't have a lot of girlfriends, love interests. He says he doesn't date very often. So this is definitely a big deal for him. Yes, except you get the sense that everyone likes this guy in town. Yes. I don't think it's one of those uh, everyone was dying to date him. But I'll bet you in my headcanon when he does get with her, everyone is super duper happy for him. Sure. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk about the only scene I remembered in this entire film. It's the big uh, social uh, pub of the town. And some guys, uh, he gets into Charlie's face and he's trying to insult Charlie. So he goes, hey, big nose. It's been really established that not only is this guy charming, but he's very, very witty. Yes. And Charlie's not insulted by the fact that he's called a big nose. He's insulted by the fact of like, look, that's the best you can do. Right. So he basically tells this guy that you can think of a better insult. So he hands him a dart and says, throw it to the dartboard. I'll say as many insults as the number you hit. And a dartboard, in case you're not familiar, is 1 to 20. The guy, of course, hits the 20. And then he says, uh, two out of three, hits the 20 again. He goes off and does 20 alternate insults that this guy should have said. And he doesn't just say insults. He goes into 20 different topics. He got philosophical and political. Let me play a short little uh, selection of some of the lines he says. Start with uh, obvious. Excuse me, is that your nose or did a bus park on your face? (laughs) Meteorological. Everybody take cover. She's going to blow. (laughs) Fashionable. You know... You could de-emphasize your nose if you wore something larger, like Wyoming. (laughs) It's brilliant. And I do remember the theater going crazy for a number of these. And if I saw this when it came out, I must have been like not even eight years old. The last joke in here when he says, excuse me, is your name Dick and yes, as an eight-year-old or seven and a half-year-old boy, I understood that line. Maybe I didn't understand the line of uh, he can satisfy two women at once, but uh, right. you know, except for like maybe that 
that line. This is all playground humor. No, some of it is like intellectual. He makes a joke about like the grindstone, you know, like keep your nose to the grindstone. That's true. Like, I'll bet you I would not have understood more than just that one. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clever and it shows that like he can think on his feet. And also, though, that like he's been internalizing how he feels about his nose, that he has all of these things ready to go because he's either heard these insults or he's thought them and like said them to himself over the years because that's all he can think about. You know, like he goes to a doctor to like fantasize about getting a nose job and apparently he can't because he's allergic to anesthesia which seems like there should be a workaround to that. Like there would be like another way they could do it, but whatever, it's good enough for the movie. I thought they were going to say something like there's some artery that's in the way and no one can operate on it. I thought that's what they were going to say. I did think that was a weird one. Yeah, right. Because like there's lots of different types of anesthesia, right? So like if he's allergic to 95% of them, he would still have a couple of other options, right? Right. But whatever. The doctor, by the way, he looked like a 1970s porn star. He like had like the button-down shirt, but like half of the buttons were open and he had like the huge stash. Like this guy's supposed to be a doctor? He's a plastic surgeon. And I said, this guy is that kind of plastic surgeon. That's what I said to Sarah when we were watching this. Because plastic surgeons are probably the richest doctors out there. They're not going through insurance. They're just saying, this is what I charge. It's 25 grand for a boob job and I'm doing eight of these today they do pretty well for themselves so if there's going to be a doctor that's going to wear you know the button down shirt with the top four buttons not buttoned it's probably not going to be the pediatrician you know (laughs) it's probably going to be that guy that makes sense there's one other part that I really like when the firefighters have to go and rescue a cat from a tree you know what they called it no they called it operation snowball Ah, that's your real nickname. No, my real nickname is Scooter. No, it's not. It's really Snowball. They said Operation Snowball, and I thought of you. Ha, 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 ha. Well, you shouldn't have unless they had a Scooter in the scene. They didn't. But skipping ahead to the end of the movie, Roxanne finds out that it was Charlie writing her all of these letters. She's mad. She punches him in the face. But then she ultimately forgives him, and the movie ends with the two of them together. And that is not what happens in Cyrano de Bergerac, the play. In that story, Roxanne does find out that Cyrano was writing all of the beautiful words that she loved, but she only finds out while Cyrano is dying. And Cyrano finally confesses literally on his deathbed, and then she says, okay, well, I love you, and then he dies. And... That's very, very, very different than what happens in this movie where she's like, yeah, you lied to me and it's fine. And earlier I was saying how I liked how this movie does a really good job of showing you, the audience member, why Charlie does the things that he does. It really does not show why Roxanne changes her mind. And like when Roxanne is really pissed at Charlie, you 100% get it. Like you feel her anger. She is completely justified in being pissed at him. But then 
he leaves. He puts out a big fire. He's a hero in the town. Everyone in the town loves him because like he saved the town from this big, huge fire that would have been a catastrophe. And all the firefighters who are kind of bumbling idiots before, he trained them and they do know what to do in an emergency. And he saves the day. But that makes her change her mind? Like those two things are pretty unrelated and disconnected. And we need to see why she changes her mind. I found that part of the movie to be pretty frustrating. That reminds me a little bit of uh, that movie we interviewed a long time ago, uh, Major League, where uh, Rene Russo is with this jerk uh, fiancé, and we don't really see what happens, but the very last scene in the film, when they win and like everyone's happy, he looks into the crowd, and there's Rene Russo, and she shows him her hand, and there's no wedding ring on there, and we just have to assume off-camera that she told off the guy, and same thing with Daryl Hannah. Roxanne must have come up with this conclusion. But yeah, it might have been uh, she's contemplating in the mirror later or something and something like that. Yeah. And honestly, in Major League and in Roxanne, the changes of heart come from the fact that it's that part of the movie, guys. We got to wrap things up. So let's just have her change her mind here. And in Major League, it doesn't really bother you because that's a baseball movie. And that love story is like maybe a C or D level plot. But in this movie... Named Roxanne. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's a rom-com. I really feel like they did the character of Roxanne, the titular character of the movie, a disservice by not explaining why she changed her mind. But since we've gotten to the end of the movie, James, let me ask you, do you think Roxanne stands the test of time? Um, did you notice the saxophone in this film? Yes, yes. It was so 80s. It was like Steve Martin in 1987 said, you know, I think we're going to need a really 80s sax here. That That's what we need. And, and the guy goes, I know exactly what you need, sir. That really, really does not stand up. Um, this is an 80s and 90s thing, and there's the guy that we love. There's Charlie. He's such a good guy, and Roxanne is the person for you. You're such a great character, and she's with Chris, and it's like, doesn't she see he's not good for her? And luckily, the guy's a total moron, and he also kind of, like, leaves Roxanne for her friend. So, good. This guy's a jerk. It makes it easy. It's a cheap thing, I think. It's an obviously an easy decision for all the characters. Charlie should be with uh, Roxanne, and Chris should be with that friend. Everyone works out in the end. I wish Charlie was, or rather, uh, Chris was either written better or... I kind of believe that there was anything more to him than just his good looks. Of course, um, Roxanne does fall for him because she thinks he's smart. But, like, the guy immediately can't, like, say a single word to her. Right. I couldn't quite bridge that together. Um, I was really excited for this film as if I was going to see Parenthood. And I haven't seen Parenthood in 30 years. And I'm just going to go, wow, what a great film that is so good i have to say i I finished this film and i said that is a really nice film i was underwhelmed i think it's only my fault though i had only seen this film once maybe 30 years ago and i don't think it was as good as i remembered i'll also say the big nose scene wasn't 
20 hits one after the other. They were funny, but it wasn't as good as I remembered. However, it's a Steve Martin in his peak, which has lasted for 50 years. Right. Still his peak, though. Sure, sure. It's a well-made film. You will not be upset if you uh, watch this film. The film, in and of itself, it definitely does stand the test of time. I, I thought it was a fine film. Plenty of laughs. Um, The one weird thing that does jar me from it is it's the Steve Martin curse where he looks kind of identical the way he looks today because and we mentioned this before in Steve Martin films he went prematurely gray which means the guy locked in looking you know late 40s early 50s he's looked like that since as far as I remembered so he so has stood the test of time it's just to me weird that everyone else around him has gotten older maybe not Martin Short I'll say because Martin Short still has to have a baby face yeah but it's just kind of a, a weird thing about Steve Martin not in a bad way he's just so great so yeah stands the test of time for me what do you think Al Roxanne does it stand the test of time well I think that it doesn't really because of the ending I like this movie the first I don't know 90% of it I was really enjoying it I had a big smile on my face I liked watching Steve Martin I liked watching Daryl Hannah I had some quibbles with the things you were saying about Chris like this guy really can't string, like, a sentence together, and she believes that it's him? What? But, okay, fine. Also, like, he was a really good-looking guy, and he seems to, like, do well enough with women. So, like, even if he can't have, like, a deep conversation, you'd think he'd be able to, like, just say enough. Like, early in the movie, he can't even, like, look at Roxanne without, like, being sick and, like, running away. Come on. You can do better than that. You're like a really good looking guy. You should be able to just walk up to her and say, so. Or Charlie says, hey, you're an incredibly good looking firefighter, dude. Like, obviously you should be good with this. And he should go, no, I've never been able to speak to a girl in my whole life. You know, something like that. And tell right. us like, oh, this guy has an actual like psychiatric phobia of women in some sort, even though he likes them. Right, 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 right. So that bugged me a little bit, but I was enjoying the movie and I really got turned off at the end when she was just like, hey, I forgive you now for no reason. There's literally no reason whatsoever. And that kind of prompted me to to look up on Wikipedia. I wonder what happens at the end of the play of Cyrano de Bergerac. Do they end up together? And the answer is no. And, you know, when Steve Martin said that he wanted to adapt this play that he loved from his childhood and update it, modernize it, he was like, but I'm going to make it a happy ending where they do end up together. That was like his spin. And okay, fine. That's all well and good, except that we don't understand why she changes her mind and she really doesn't have any reason to. And looking at it from a modern lens... This is a story of catfishing. And from a test of time perspective, you could very easily make the argument that you could tell the same story now and it would be a million times easier to trick Roxanne instead of having to go through this whole thing of writing letters and worrying about the handwriting matching and then he's going to write it and then Chris is going to sign it. All Chris has to do is hand Charlie his cell phone and say, she's texting me, man. 
you write to her for me. Right. Or the scene is going to be on the balcony where um, he keeps looking up at Roxanne and he looks down at his phone and he's going to see Charlie's words texting him what to say. The remake writes itself to do it as a modern uh, take. Yeah. And it's easier. It's easier to do this scam on somebody now. And so you could make a movie where that happens, where someone gets catfished and someone thinks they're talking to someone and they're actually talking to someone else today. You could make that movie very, very easily today. But if you made that movie today, the movie doesn't end with the woman falling for the guy who is scamming her, who is catfishing her, and they end up happily ever after. I don't see how that happens. I really, really don't. I see how that movie could end with her saying, you lied to me, you deceived me, and even though I loved all of the words that you said, fuck you, man. Get the hell away from me. I don't think there's any way that they can end up together today. Well, there's a redemption action he has to do. Here's how you do it the easy way. Chris is not just an idiot. He winds up being a monster. He attacks her. And then if he's able to be the knight that saves her, that's how it works in Hollywood, I'm saying. But obviously why she forgave him was because of what he said. But I have to fill in those holes off camera, I guess. Right, right. But if you remade the movie, you could end it on a note that doesn't have to be necessarily like a real downer where like the Charlie character, now he has learned a lesson. Now he has gained some confidence and he can have a meaningful relationship with someone else. I don't really see how it's going to work with Roxanne. And I think that any studio executive who is handed a script like that would be very nervous to greenlight that movie where... Okay, so this woman gets catfished, and then she gets together with the guy who scammed her? Uh, I don't know about that. And hey, if you're going to say, but Alan, the story of Cyrano de Bergerac does stand the test of time. They just made a new Cyrano de Bergerac movie. I think it came out like late 2021, and then it was like wide released in 2022. It starred Peter Dinklage. You can remake that story, sure. But that movie was faithful to the play. My point is no one would remake Roxanne. Also, just from like a a licensing perspective, why would you pay money to license the rights to Roxanne and have to pay Steve Martin when you could just do a, a new interpretation of Cyrano, which has long been in the public domain, right? Like, because I need to have goofy firefighters in my movie? No, you don't. Just do a new reimagining of Cyrano. I don't think this movie stands the test of time for that reason. And it doesn't mean that I hate the movie. I don't hate the movie. I like the movie. I thought it was really charming. I just feel like the end doesn't work from a modern lens. I don't think it stands the test of time just because of what happens in the last, like, literally four minutes. Also, neither here nor there, but Charlie is very good with words, and he's a writer. And you see at one point on his desk, he has the Chicago Manual of Style. I mean... I appreciate as a writer that he would have that on his desk, but personally, I'm more of an AP style book kind of a guy over a Chicago manual of style. In my high school, we were always taught MLA. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm. Uh, They do also talk a lot about Dallas. There's like a scene where he bumps into some old ladies and he's trying to get them to to stop Chris and Roxanne from having sex. And they're like, we need to go home. Dallas is on TV. 
Yeah, there were a number of side characters. There's a very funny, I'd call him like a Buddy Hackett-like character. He's just kind of like the dumb firefighter that just kind of waddle over to Charlie and go, yeah, both. Um, yeah, all the fire trucks are broken and everyone's not able to do anything. That's Michael J. Pollard. He's very, very funny. We did see him in another movie. He was in Scrooged, the Bill Murray Christmas movie. He's great. I do very much like that character. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about The Devil's Advocate. And I think they mean that literally. Yeah, yeah. This is a movie you've wanted to do on the podcast for a while. Keanu Reeves, Al Pacino, Charlize Theron, and one of those people plays the devil. I won't tell you which. We definitely see a shirtless Al Pacino. Oh boy. It'll be fun to talk about that movie. Until then, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us if that's more of your thing. If you're more like Charlie or Cyrano de Bergerac, you want to write us a very long love letter. You don't have to pretend it's coming from someone else. You can just say that it's you. But you would send that to the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. I love reading your emails. And we will see you next time, everybody. Bye.